to episode 293 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson and I'm delighted to have on this week's show the producers Terry Dwyer and Dean Fisher. You may have heard their names before, bounded around this podcast. Dean, this is his third time being on the podcast. Terry, it's her second. Dean first came onto the podcast talking about The Bromley Boys, uh, the feature film that he produced, a brilliant football movie. I love that movie. And Terry was on the podcast talking about Break also with Dean because they produced that movie together. And Terry and Dean produced The Stranger in Our Bed, which we are here to talk about today because the movie is out. It is released now. It was out in America last month. It is out now on all digital platforms uh, like Sky, like iTunes, like Virgin, Tukin, uh, PlayStation, all the usual places. iTunes, if I haven't said that already, Amazon. You can find it. And I was lucky enough to be the director on that. So um, it is out. Please do support. Uh, You have heard me talk about it on the podcast if you're a regular listener. And I thought we'd do a special on it with myself and the two fabulous producers chatting about about how we made it. Interestingly, the chat descended into wonderful talk about indie filmmaking, the state of the industry at the moment, and how you can help go out there and make your film. Um, but we're calling it a Stranger in Our Bed special because the movie's out, so we're promoting it. Um, <laughs> so Dean and Terry have also produced uh, another movie after The Stranger in Our Bed called Boland's Shoes. And that movie, directed by Ian Poulston Davies, uh, stars Timothy Spall, Leanne Best, Matthew Horn, and Terry Dwyer, of course. Uh, she's fabulous. And some of Dean's other credits include 97 Minutes, Inside, Interview with a Hitman, One Crazy Thing, The Man Inside, and City Rats. But we had a brilliant natter about The Stranger in Our Bed. I imagine, because uh, we talked for quite a while, that Toby, a uh, wonderful, wonderful editor, has cut this down a little bit. So there should be stuff on our Patreon, some extra bonus bits and pieces. If you're not already uh, part of our Patreon, then do, do join in, because there's so many bits and pieces that we do not put in the main podcast that go on there and there's lots of tidbits and even more information about how you can go out there and make your film if i seem a bit flustered at the moment it's because i've been on set all day in rainy wales and it is late uh, and i'm trying to record this uh, in a hotel room as quietly as i can to not disturb everyone else because i'm up at 5.45 for tomorrow's shenanigans. But it's all right. We've had a movie out today. That's just what happens. <laughs> so, The Stranger in Our Bed. I'm proud of this movie. Some really cool people worked on it. And it's a really cool thriller. Uh, and I hope if you are supporting me and other people like Terry and Dean that you do watch it. So if you do like The Stranger in Our Bed, then do go give it a nice review and do tell us on socials. Honestly, it makes a huge difference. Um, so some of our cast are Emily Barrington, who you'll know from Humans or In Between Us 2. Ben Lloyd Hughes, you probably know from Sanditon at the moment. Samantha Bond, who was Miss Moneypenny. And Nina Wadia, who was in two other movies I produced called Repeat and Followers, but you'll know her from so, so many things, especially Sandman at the moment. 
moment. Joseph Marcel, uh, you'll know from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Bart Edwards, who was one of the, well, he was the lead in The Dare, um, but you'll know him from The Witcher now, and uh, Unreal, State of Happiness, The Boy Just Doesn't Stop Working. Uh, the movie also stars Andy Osho, who you'll know from Line of Duty, and uh, I May Destroy You. She's also in The Sandman. Uh, and Paul Cesar, he is very well known from The Detectorist. So if you like that TV series, you'll know who Paul is. I have those amazing people in my film, as well as Ruggiero Balaba, uh, Jude Forsey, Mark Corner, um, Nina Christofferson, Martin Neely, Dan Richardson, Victoria Sterling, uh, Stephen Stallone. They all make little appearances in the movie as well. Uh, the DP uh, cinematographer was Richard Swingle. I loved working with Richard. Edited by Oliver Parker, who's edited three of my movies, including The Dare and Arthur and Merlin. Uh, composer was Ian Arbor. The score is available now as well for The Stranger in Our Bed. Do, do, do check that out. It's gorgeous. He's done such an incredible job. Samantha Lee Howe is the screenwriter. She'd also written the novel, uh, which it is based off, um, except produced by the wonderful Greg Barrow as well. Casting director was Kate Plantin. The production designer was Anna Papa. Me and Richard love working with her and work with all those colours. And shout out to our costume designer, Julia Scrimieri, and makeup uh, designer, Rebecca Hall. There's, there's so many worked on this film. I love you all. You were amazing. Uh, I'll try and name check you all at some point. But thank you to everyone who helped uh, get this film made, get it out there and get it seen by the world. Thank you. You're amazing. So uh, without further ado, let's just get to the episode. But first, let's play the trailer so you know what we're talking about. And then we'll just dive straight in. Myself, Dean Fisher and Terry Dwyer talking about how we made The Stranger in Our Bed, but also about filmmaking in general. I hope you enjoy, I hope you support, and I hope you enjoy, and I hope you go out there and do something to make your films this week. Next week, by the way, is The Wolves of War special. My World War II movie's out then. So, it's a fun time. <laughs> Here it is, this is this week's podcast. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Being the wife of a CEO is a job. It can be lonely. And sometimes we have to make sacrifices. But it has its rewards. I know I keep asking, but please, please, let's run away together. Let's do it. I'm leaving you. Is this not enough for you? Never been about the money. I wasn't there enough for you. I was always at work. That would change. We know he can be difficult, but Tom still loves you. I know that life would be a little tricky. Where have you been? What the fuck are you doing? They must have been inside the flat. Pressing record, we're live. We are live. How are you doing? Oh my god, it's I am so excited to see you both. <laughs> yeah. It's been ages. It has been a while. <laughs> Dean, how are you? I'm all right. How are we feeling, right? It's been it's been a year, right? Since we first shot it, and yet it's now coming out. How are you feeling, Dean? Yeah, but it's been like you say, a year is a really long time, and mm. it's it's just great to get it out there, isn't it? And um 
you know, it's one of those films that we made in the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and it was right in the heart of lockdown as well. So it was a crazy time to make a film. It really was, and and I'm really pleased with what we've got. Quite looking forward to for people's feedback. Really, how do you feel, Terry? Well, good. Um, you know, it came out on Showtime, and uh, the reviews were really great. There's obviously a lot of Ben Lloyd Hughes fans. And as there should be. <laughs> because if you go onto IMDb, they are loving it, which I'm really grateful for. So, yeah, it, it did well. I, I, I hope that um, the UK audience are as supportive as the US. But you know what? We work really hard. You make a film. Any independent film that gets into production is nothing short of a miracle. You just hope that people love it as much as the energy we've put into making it yeah that's always the tough bit isn't it you just you just don't know when you put a film out there into the world and it's frightening i always find it frightening because i don't know as the the director of it it's kind of your and as much as all our friends know this is your film and they will read the reviews or read it it is my name does get put in there a lot the actors names get put in there my name so it's always frightening it's the extra bit of frightening it's funny that isn't it because obviously if the film's loved it's the director and the cast mm-hmm. yeah and if it's hated it's the director and the cast and us producers don't really get that 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 flack either way do we we're kind of just in the background and mm-hmm. and um i don't mind that yeah i don't know i don't know whether it's because the nature of the beast that i am I always feel so personally entangled in a film. It's almost like somebody is criticizing my baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my child. And yeah. I think you're much better than I am at this, Dean. And it's probably because you've made much more films than I am. You're much better at seeing it in a more of a business sense, whereas I am so emotionally involved that I, I you know, I bleed. <laughs> I bleed when people don't like it. Well, I, I think you can't please everyone and and that's the thing when you make a film whatever story you put out there you know some people are going to love it some people are going to hate it and some people can go yeah it was right you know so <laughs> i don't think you have that control so so it's no point taking it too personal because it's out of your control once you've it, it's almost that, that that analogy you know a film is almost like a child and once you put that child out into the world it has to kind of make its own life and so it's out of your control really i i know and i know that's the sensible option <laughs> I, still, I still can't help you know I, I actually I don't really read too many of the reviews because it's subjective um and but I still I still do get really emotionally involved and I don't mm. think I can be any other way I'm the same as you well let's talk how it came about right because uh, from my side I got asked by you guys to pitch um for the movie as a director for hire so that's how I came involved with it for you guys, but how did you guys get involved with it? Well, I I set up a production company at the height of the pandemic because that seemed like a sensible idea. <laughs> September 2020, <laughs> let's make films because the whole world is closed down. Genius, um, so, genius. Yeah, so we we optioned a USA Today bestselling book, uh, The Stranger in Our Bed, and then the author of the book wrote the screenplay as well, which is actually quite unusual, but I'd already worked with Dean. I've known Dean 20 years and Dean's been very generous in mentoring me in in the producer world and we'd worked on break where I completely felt like an imposter the whole time and Dean was kind of holding me up going no no you're not an imposter and this is how you do this and this is how you do that so I um, asked Dean to come on board and produce Stranger with us but it was challenging I think 
I think looking back, shooting a film in the kind of restrictions that really none of us understand or understood at that point, it, it not only added onto the budget and an independent film, every every pound really counts and you don't really want to be spending it on COVID tests, which at that time, I don't know if you remember, Dean, we couldn't get the free tests. We were having to get a nurse from Liverpool to drive down to where we were filming to test everybody. And she was able to do quite immediate tests. Yeah, I remember shitting myself on that, by the way, because yeah, I thought yeah. if I've got COVID, right, and we're doing that, what, I, honestly, I was really nervous. I, thought, I think I like woke up at 4am going, oh my God, oh my God, if I've got it, what, how are we going to shoot the movie? What am I going to do? Who's doing it? It's, yeah, frightening. We were very, very lucky though, wasn't we? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I know so many productions that have suffered through COVID mm -hmm. and, and having all those restrictions and all the problems and, and not knowing, um, you know, how much it would affect our production. We got away with it really. Well, we did. We only got one, one person had COVID the whole time, right? I think that was one of our sparks, wasn't it? Yeah, but, but, but do you know what? In fairness, guys, yes, there was a lot of luck, but also we 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 tried to plan very um, you know with covid in mind we we chose that place in northampton we decided to turn it into a studio we covid tested everybody before i think it was 3 days before then everyone came to northampton and then we were in a bubble we tested again so we used that manor house as a studio really for 2 yeah. weeks so by so by the time we left there and we none of us had left there during that 2 weeks and you know it was really tough because matt our script supervisor had just had a baby and mm. and we were living working really long hours. I mean, God, I was on my hands and knees with gaffer tape and yep. Dean was doing all sorts because we had to keep a really, really small crew. So yeah. it just meant as producers, Dean and I were in every department. But mm. what that meant is by the time we left Northampton, we had half the film in the bag. And then we went to London and that was difficult, wasn't it, Dean? That was, that was, because I lived with Dean when we did the latter half of the so film. So that was difficult. <laughs> yeah, always. Well, living with me was difficult. No. <laughs> I've lived with him a few times. It's okay. His wife doesn't mind. Can I just tell you? Well, when you were staying in the, um, just before Dean, you answered that, when you were staying at the manor house, because there wasn't enough rooms for everyone, you two were in a caravan. <laughs> we were in a Winnebago, yeah. Dean had the east, he had the east wing and I had the, uh, the, the west wing, but yeah. I couldn't believe that. It was so cool. I, I feel that our crew and cast should be kept well um, mm. and you know as the producers we're the ones that have to suffer the most so it was cold in that caravan it yeah. really was but it was horrible it was right? horrible but but we just did it because we felt that was the right thing to do and and you know by staying in that that house and keeping everyone together made a massive difference really because we treated that studio well treated that space as a studio and it just worked really well for us and i think actually we shot more than half the film by the time we left there because a lot happened at the manor house yeah i tried to shoot as much i remember we were going to do some stuff in richmond or supposed to be in richmond i was like well actually we could do it here can we cheat can we do this stuff here? and some stuff we couldn't in the end but i know we tried to get as much at that manor house shot as possible well the hospital as well you know yeah. we didn't want to risk going to a hospital and and, and you know being in an environment near covid mm-hmm 
so we built a set in in the barn at the house as well so we we utilized every space we could even that little outhouse um we made that into a restaurant you know so so it's whatever we could do to make it work and 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 utilize that space as much as possible yeah which is really interesting for those who when you've watched the film and i i expect you all to watch uh, the stranger in our bed which is out now uh, on all good and evil places um to <laughs> to notice that the scenes uh, like in the hospital and the scenes uh, in the photography room, shall we say, are the same place. Uh, and that's an amazing achievement by our art department to get that done in the short space of time. But I, I, you know, from my side, I know how hard you two worked. I saw it. And I have to say, and I want to say thank you, because you were both unbelievably brilliant. You were both over so many jobs. I know Dean, you were DITing. I know Terry, like you said, you were doing accounting, doing accounting, you're doing, because like you said, COVID, you had to have less people, but also I never saw you stop. And, and it's a real testament to what you've achieved on this. And which is why I think at the start, I was talking about the director and the actors get the credit for this or the negative press. But that's why people don't know who producers are or a lot of people in many industries don't know what producers do. But what they do is they sew everything together and they make sure stuff gets, fires get put out before they happen. And you two were incredible. I, honestly, I mean that, you know, Thank I've worked on a lot of films and you two, would, you. It, I was amazed every day. And you obviously you were both absolutely you could see it in your face no we need to we need to do this and get this done but you did it yeah like you say you do that to me but your team you were so good and so efficient and people trusted you and believed in you and and would run through fires for you and and that's honestly a real testament and how i think producers should be and i've worked with a few like that but you two were honestly up there and I, i'm very happy you were producing that film honestly oh, thank you thank you giles it, it, uh... That that's very nice and kind of you to say. I, and you. also, just just uh, I know whilst we're we you know we're praising people, it makes our jobs easier if, if a director's got the right vibe on set. You know, if if people are fighting for your cause, which they were, that makes things a lot easier for us. Because if people complain all the time, they're having a hard time from the director, then that comes back to the producer. And our job is obviously very difficult. We were working what sixteen, seventeen hours. Sometimes I was up till three a.m. Yeah. doing the, doing the DIT and then starting at you know 7 a.m again the next day mm -hmm. but but that's what we had to do to get the job done and, and and that was the restrictions put on us because of the situation and not having such a big crew but at the same time you you still need your director who's there and you know the actors reacted well to you the crew reacted well to you and and, and that definitely makes our job easier as well because then we haven't got that other layer of politics and all the other stuff that goes on i think that's what is amazing about independent film look you know you, you hear about people's experiences on studio films and actually um dean and i worked on the next film with a with a gaffer that have been on big studio films and i think indie film is a real family thing yes we work really hard yes we probably you know, do hours that no other normal person can mm -hmm. do. But there's a real sense of family and achieving. In fact, Ben Lloyd Hughes on our socials did this beautiful video and he said, what I love about indie film is the the effort that people are willing to go to to tell this story and be part of that. And 
I think that's what's amazing. And it's a really difficult time in indie film at the moment. And I think it will be a shame if some of those big conglomerates or studios don't start supporting us because they're going to miss if if they're not careful and they don't start looking after us we are going to lose a really important part of the film industry people being able to step up which we we always do deem we step people up mm -hmm. and also for us being able to take to tell the type of stories that possibly studios wouldn't put money behind and I think I do think the future of indie film at the moment is is in the balance. It's in the, well, not just indie film. I mean, theatrical films outside of the big studios is really in the balance at the moment. I think this is probably the most difficult time I've ever seen in the industry. And and yes, you can say the streamers are doing well and 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 so on. But 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 what you're seeing is a disconnect now. Which, you know, how many people will go and watch an independent film in the cinema? This very few and far between and and now if Cineworld goes out of business god knows because that's taking picture house and everything else with it and it, 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 I think you've, we're really going to have to have a rethink of the strategy of how we go forward so I, I know a lot of indie people have gone over to TV um, and, and all these skills are being lost in independent film mm -hmm. bec because people have to pay their bills so so they're having to, to take on jobs that they wouldn't necessarily do because they can't see a future for the independent film sector. There's got to be more that people can do. This is such an important part of our sector for all the reasons that we're discussing. And actually, we don't need that much of a leg up. We just need a bit of support. Um, I, I saw some statistics on big uh, going back to what you were saying dean you know pre-pandemic the big the bigger cinemas they'd leave certain amount for studio films and a certain amount for indie but because they're trying to claw back all this money now all the, all the screens are taken up by big studio films so where where does that leave us to go mm -hmm. and i think that's what you were alluding to really dean you know the whole there, there's no place for us in theatrical at the moment because theatrical are trying to recoup the money they've lost during the pandemic i think the appetite from the audience has changed as well i think people have got very used to watching content at home and not going mm. to the cinema and it's only the very few event films that people will come out in, in masses to go and see mm. and i think that's what we're fighting against and and what we obviously have done in the past with with you know, we did a drive-in cinema release because that was the only way of break. of making yeah. it, yeah, of, of making it work at that particular time. And and I think as producers, we're having to think a bit more outside the box to, to connect with our audiences. Otherwise, I just think it's impossible. You have to find an extra edge or move, create a movement why people want to fight and come and see your film. And that's that's the battles we've got now because. The actual space in the cinemas, like Terry was saying, is so limited. So you've really got to have a, a justified reason why you should go out in the cinemas. And then the fallback is say, well, I'll just put it on Netflix. But it's not that easy because they produce so much of their own content. So the window of getting your content on that platform is very difficult. And obviously, there's loads of other platforms out there now. But, but the money has come down so much of what you get back. That's it. They're not paying as much. They're not paying no. as much. So therefore, it's not worth if your investors have put money in and you're going, oh, and everyone wants it to go on Netflix. because, But we all know it goes on Netflix. It's free. If someone's got a Netflix subscription, it's now free. They're now not going to pay for it. Do you see what I mean? And that's the problem. But taking into consideration what everyone's just said, mm. is cinema right for independent film? Because you lose so much on P&A. Mm -hmm. Is this really... I know we all love it to be on the cinema and we love the West End premiere 
But I think we've also got to think quite businesslike and logical about the ROI for the investor. Always. Because maybe may, maybe your ROI is much quicker if you don't go on the cinema. Because you can, I mean, I heard some data from a box office guru when I was doing Market Trader. And they'd, they'd identified with one of Tim Spall's film, actually, who, who's in one of Dean and I's film. I think it was, I can't remember which one it was, but they'd identified that between a Tuesday and a Friday, if they changed their um, theatrical in those times and then only went to certain cinemas where that level of audience, you know, it was really good business during those times. Well, then that was a massive success. So I think mm. it's not just us that have to, it's the sales agent, it's the distributors, but... I think we st we still need to, Dean's right, we need to think a lot harder as producers, but also is theatrical really right for indie film now? I don't know. Well, well sometimes it, the, the reason you would always want to go theatrical, obviously there's a an egotistical reason, you know, you'd love to have your film in the cinema and and, and it's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great for your career and everything else. But also it used to push up the ancillary rights and all the other revenue by doing that. So if you hit the theatrical window, it's a theatrical film. It generally means you can get a better price internationally um, and then elevates the film. And plus you get more publicity than you would by um, just having a straight to, to home entertainment release. So is that the same though now post pandemic? Is that is that business model still working post pandemic? Now we know that we can recoup and be very successful because platforms now it's not just Netflix, is it? I mean, if you look at some of the mm -hmm. other lesser platforms post pre pandemic mm -hmm. to the revenue that they're doing post pandemic, it's huge. So I know what you're saying, Dean, because that's a that's a business model that we have adhered to in the past. But is it still relevant now? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's changing so much, and and I I don't think anyone has the full answers of of the right way to go. In the right circumstances, there's still an for for an independent film if you can get it in the cinemas and you feel it's justified. It's like, for instance, Joel's documentary. You know, if for instance you've got a whole vegan movement and, and then he puts that in the cinemas and, and reaches out to the people as part of that vegan movement, then it becomes more of an event film and more of a theatrical film. So it's got to be in the right circumstances of why, why something should go in the cinemas. Otherwise it is just for ego and, 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 sure. you know, and, and hope of people that are going to, you know, build it and they will come the, the Woodstock mentality it's one of those things and it's always tricky and everyone wants their films in cinemas it's a thing from when you were kids it's like a cinema movie and everyone asks you oh is it going in cinemas it's like it doesn't work like that anymore but I think there's a place for indie film in cinema I really do and I think we should really try and champion or at least try and go support as many of these indie films that do go to cinemas because we know how much it costs I also agree with Dean I think it has to be event cinema now. If you've got an indie film, okay, well, your director, producer, one of your actors should be turning up and doing a Q&A. You make it an event cinema. Cinemas like that these days. It's an easier thing. You can forewall it as well in cinemas these days to basically go in, speak to a cinema beforehand and go, hey, we're going to do an evening. Director's going to come in. Producer's going to come in. One of the actors, we're going to do Q&A at the end. Can we do 50-50 split? Cinemas will do that with you. There's no question about it. So you can do a small cinema run yourself. But cinemas are open to indie films. I know we're talking about one of our latest films about cinema release, and they're open to it. You know, there's no question about it. This is a, okay, we can do this. If you hit the right time with the right kind of project and it's niche enough, and Dean, like you say about, you know, uh, the food for thought, vegan movement type thing, 
There's a niche market. I'm not saying we're putting that in cinema. I don't think that will work in cinema, but there's a niche market. And if you've got a film that's got a niche market and that appeals to a certain demographic, you can make sure you're targeting those demographics in those territories. And if you're doing your job right, if it's, let's say you're making a film about Barnsley Football Club, for instance, you target Barnsley. You know what I mean? You go, okay, let's put it on cinemas around Barnsley. This is for the Barnsley people, or it's about the miners in Wales. Okay, you target that. That's clever. That's thinking outside the box or a BMX film. Let's target those people. That's the way to do it for independent film. But And then you forewall the rest. So you've got your cinema release, which means you can get your your uh, Reviews coming in from your bigger people if you want those. Even though people now are reviewing stuff that is going straight online because they understand it's changed. I just think we need, as a, a movement and an independent group of people, which we all are and the people that listen to this podcast are, is we can help and we can support by supporting that. And if you know a friend who's got a film or you see a film that's doing a bit of a cinema, and go watch it, go support, you know, and give it a good review. <laughs> but, <laughs> but beyond beyond the community, how do you reach a bigger audiences? But that's it, isn't it, Dean? It's niche. Let's say it's a film, you know, it's, it's about being clever. Like Boland Shoes is a perfect example. It's okay, well, let's target those people who remember that time if that's what you wanted to do stranger on a bed is different it's a thriller it's a it's a harder cinema movie to sell without superstar names in it right thrillers are but you say that but the whole point of choosing stranger in our bed is because it had existing ip so when you choose okay, an independent yeah. film it's not it's not enough now to to say i like that script i'm going to make it first of all can i finance it can i attract a cast yep. is there an audience there so with stranger in our bed i get what you're saying thriller but thriller is a genre that does sell no, and right. also samantha yep. lee how it's a usa today best-selling book so certainly what we're finding is fans of the book and because we did all stay very faithful mm -hmm. i know we've had a bit of creative license in the film of but course. you know ultimately yeah. we hit the beats of the book and and in the u.s the people that have seen the film that are fans of the book are still fans of the film so yeah. it, th having that existing ip and that existing audience it's whatever can give you that next rung on the ladder ip is important terry you, you, you're absolutely right yeah a niche and ip if you can get the two together well okay you might have a little bit of a winner you know and the film has to be good enough at the end of the day the film has to be good enough to survive in cinema you know it, it you don't and, and dean i think you're right you don't have to spend that much money these days on promoting your film in the cinemas let's say you mean we were going to the cinema terry we're going okay let's go let's go watch something we wouldn't necessarily go oh let me check out a billboard of a bus going by you go onto the app for that cinema and go what's on this is the first thing you do these days. So it's a different kind of advertising. As long as you've got a good poster and a trailer, people will go, oh, that looks good. We've already seen Avatar. What's on next? We've seen James Bond. That's taking all the cinemas up. What's on? What else is on? Oh, I hope you're right. But I, 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 <sighs> I know, maybe I'm dreaming. <laughs> well, I don't know. I want you to be right, Giles, because I want to believe that actually if you've got a good film and you've got a good trailer, that that that, that is enough. But I think the world of getting a product to market now is so complex with you know the influences and getting it here and getting it there like dean said it, the, the landscape for sales and distribution now is so changing you know post pre pandemic that mm -hmm. i think it's really hard to keep up and also know what works I, it, it's impossible in fact
what the hell are we doing making film? Because we love <laughs> what it. What are we doing? <laughs> it's I, I, true. Think I think you're either crazy or you have to have an element of madness, which is why you want to make a film. Because if you break down what you have to do on a daily basis, oh, it's yeah. insane. It it's really insane. is insane. But we enjoy it. And, 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 you know, I think any film you make is a major sense of achievement to get through to the end and to yeah. get that out into a marketplace yeah. and to share it with an audience is an amazing achievement. And do you know what, Dean? That sentiment is probably one of the most important things that people, laymen who doesn't understand our industry, has to know because any, any independent film, it doesn't matter how good or rubbish it is, to get into the marketplace is nothing short of a miracle. So when those keyboard warriors are having a really boring day, mm -hmm. please just be mindful that people have slogged and given you know, almost a kidney mm -hmm. to get this film into production. I, I just, I really wish I could invite those to set and just say, please come and understand what we do right. to try and bring this film to you. Because yeah. then you might think twice about just being a bit fed up that day and not liking what I've said on telly or the fact that I'm doing this or so-and-so's doing that and just be a little bit more forgiving about not supporting the film. Yes, yes, I love that. Can I say a kidney or a garden wall? <laughs> yes, so Dean, yeah. so... Let's talk about the stranger <laughs> right? Because Dean, we filmed at Dean's house, right? Obviously, Terry stayed there, but we also filmed at Dean's house. We had a day there. Do you know what he's referring to? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Someone backed into the wall at Dean's house and broke the wall. I am. Can I just defend myself? <laughs> please, can I, please do, can live. I, can, yes, let me just defend myself. So somebody had already backed into the wall and just Someone had done it debt. before. I see. Yes. It's one of those. Mum, it wasn't me. <laughs> no, but I was driving these big blinking Lutons with all the equipment in. But yeah. the, the worst thing about it is yeah. I didn't even know I'd done it. <laughs> And, uh, I had to show her the ring footage Serious? of my, my, my driveway. I went, look, look at the bricks all over the wall, all over the floor. You didn't know you'd done it. That's how tired you were. This was pretty much near the end of the shoot now. We had so much to cram in. You literally crushed his wall. But because do you know that little flap that's on the back of the Luton? Yeah, Well, obviously, as, as I'd pulled out, I caught the... Yeah. Oh, no, no, that was, that was another one. Sorry, that was coming oh. out of the house. Wait, that's another um, one. Did I do it twice? <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Yeah, the, the, um, the RV we had. I am so sorry, Dean. So no, sorry. no, no, you didn't. No, my house only suffered once. The back of the RV suffered as well. Oh. Um, oh, 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 yeah. yes. oh, my God. Oh, my God. And that was my friend's RV. Oh. oh, did you give it back and not say anything? You couldn't. The back of it was hanging off. <laughs> so, thank God. Thank God the gaffer and his lighting guys were there. So Do you know what? It's funny how you forget these things. And this is not, and I don't mean that in a, it's just, it's so much going on on a film set. There's so much to do. If you don't write down the things that happen, you forget all the minutiae details. Or just have two annoying boys like you that remind me. Remind you. And go, Hang on, Terry. No, let's pull you up. No, no, no you no. weren't good because you backed into my wall and you were in the army. <laughs> So you're not as good as you thought you were. The first day as I went to pull off my driveway, the manhole collapsed and, and the wheel oh, got yeah. stuck oh, yes. down a manhole. So that, that was the way it started. So yeah. let's talk about the grave, right? So Dean... Like, oh, do we have to? Yes, we had to dig a grave, right? When you see the film, you'll see this grave. I remember... it. I think it was the only night it was raining anyway. It was like that. And it was the only night we could film outside and get this done because of timing of everyone and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just remember going, Dean, what are we going to do? We haven't 
dug a grave. And I, I, all I remember you was going, it's all right, you had someone with a digger and they came and did it, but then you got in the grave yourself and were digging personally in the middle of this whole madness. But before we get to you tell your story, I remember because of a kerfuffle with timing and what we had to do, we had to dig the hole of the grave and then cover it up as if there was no hole because of timing of doing it. We had to shoot. How the hell did we get finished? If that makes sense to anyone, basically it's a garden area that they're admiring and something happens there. But at the time, you don't know this. But yet we had to dig this grave. But like I said... Well, before that, we built that garden, didn't we? We we built this garden. Yeah, we built this garden with flowers and everything. So now we have to dismantle it, dig a hole and then cover it back up with all the flowers and plants around it as if we haven't dug a hole. Now, I don't know if there's anyone has ever dug a hole in the rain. It's going to cause a mess. It's never going to look when you try and replace the the, the risen hole. <laughs> we totally got away with it. Dean smashed it. It was amazing. So did the art department. It's it like, wow, you'd never know. We shot that afterwards. But anyway, tell your story in the hole, Dean. Come on, I want to know. No, no, no. I don't, I don't, I'm honestly. Dean in the hole. <laughs> it's really not that exciting, to be honest. But, <laughs> but that's the first. No, no, the only thing I would say is the first time I've had to dig a six foot grave. And I think we probably went a bit too deep, there, didn't we? Looking back now right <laughs> maybe but on in the film it looks great there's no it question does. about it but we were so worried that they would collapse on the actors we were so i was really frightened it was raining we, uh, the dp rich swingle had to get in the hole we had to put mud in there you know we had to an actor a fight in there a full scene it's like wow it looked great though to be honest it looks great oh that was a grim night though eh, guys? it was a grim, a grim night. night but it yeah. was a, a take it in moment as well i think when you're there lying <laughs> no in way. the grave covered in mud and you look up and you see all these massive lights everywhere on cranes and you go, just take a look around you right. and, and take it in. This, this, <laughs> right, that word's there. It's exactly what Dean said to me when I knew I had five minutes left to get three setups. He went, just take it in, Giles. Relax, look at the light. Look what we've done here. I went, Dean, I've got to get three yes. I'll never get my shots. Stop. I would love to make this moment happen and have this special did. Dean. I did, yeah, we got it. Yeah, well, you couldn't do anything. You, you was in, you was in the grave at the time. I, mean. <laughs> I was in the grave. He's like, look where you are. I'm dead, Dean. I'm dead. Can I, can I tell you that's that's my worst time of the day? You know when you are yeah. 15 minutes before the bell's gonna go, yes, and you know you've got a gazillion things to shoot. My stomach yeah. starts churning, and and you think, how can I or how can we mm-hmm. go to a crew that's already been on for 12 hours in the rain yep. in a yep. grave yep. and say? Can we just what what okay, both of you here and now, because I think everyone will really benefit from your words of wisdom. <laughs> how do you how do you get your crew to do that when you know you're taking the piss? From the director's side, and again, it's something you said very kindly about me. I think you have to have them on side. Like you you can't take the piss as you, you again of course you're on set it's very difficult and you will go over occasionally if you haven't taken the piss too much and they believe in you and you're not a tyrant and you haven't shouted them you, you know what I mean you've treated them as well as you can and respected their work which on the stranger in a bed like the crew were incredible at that point it's 
I think then you've got a bit of grace, even if you've already asked for grace to say, look, we'll never get this again. It will look incredible. Do you mind? Please for me. They might do it. They might. And to be honest, I've never had anyone say no. People might huffle and puffle, but I'll be like, look, tomorrow I'll make sure you get a bit. I'll make sure you get this. Well, the next day was a shorter day. I think that that, that definitely helped. And also, I was so apologetic. I mean, uh, Tom, bless him, our gaffer, how many light structures. I mean, there must have been about 30 or 40 light structures he's, he's created. Yeah, this is at night, by the way. It's a big light setup. And we had to make it light. light. It was coming from the house, a police siren looking like a police light was there we had to backlight it all we had to make sure the grave was lit tom neil did a brilliant job as much as rich swingle that he's a genius isn't he? he's a genius the whole crew were a genius so but, but everyone was i think that was probably the hardest night to say can we just have one or two yes. more because it was yeah. raining like hell wasn't it and, yeah. and it was cold and the actors are cold and in the mud rolling around you know and ben and emily were brilliant i think that was the day matt steen the, our brilliant script supervisor did uh, fall in the um, the little stream as well. I went in there. I went in twice that day. You went in twice, did you, did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I happened to catch Matt, so that's why I, <laughs> I, I, I rip him about it. But no, he was amazing. And it's just one of those. And it wasn't just him that went in. It was all his his whole script uh, notes. Everything went in. Oh, Bless no. him. It was horrible. But um, I think that was that night as well. So everyone was tired and hungry and cold and not hungry. We had decent food. But that, I was in the kitchen waiting for you all to finish with warm food, if you remember. So you didn't help, Terry? No. no, no. <laughs> but I, I, I helped in a different kind of way. You did, you did. But, no, but when we did. got to London, I mean, that, that obviously threw up different challenges because then yeah. you're now in the middle of a pandemic. And, and it was great driving around in London because you normally you, it takes ages to, to, to navigate your way around. But And I didn't crash into anything, Dean. No, no. you didn't. Not, not when we got to London. Not in London. <laughs> Just um, Dean's house. <laughs> But, but we had, it was difficult getting locations in the pandemic because people would normally go out somewhere, but they couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So to get people to give up their, their houses for us, I found that really difficult. But but we found some amazing locations. But, but don't you remember, Dean, it was numbers. They that We could only have like 15 in some houses. Do you That's remember? Right. It was yeah. So we were having to station people like... In, in various different places so mm. that we only had I mean how can you shoot a film with 15 people it's it's really hard I know obviously people have made movies with less but with this bigger team and crew it's a huge big setup it's really difficult it means everyone's stretched and I do remember the last filming days we had were in uh, you know the flat looks amazing in it in the film but there was no room for anyone to go so it was so like small in terms of the spaces. And I was filming and I love to do this is film like the whole way around with a steady cam. So the characters are moving through, which is Terry's character as well in these scenes, moving through both rooms. But that meant, well, where did the crew go? And where do all that, where does all our kit go? Where does everything go? And suddenly you have all these issues and how do you set the lights up outside to not to shadow everyone? So I remember at one point coming around the corner and we'd setting up the scene in the bedroom, I think with Emily and Bear, uh, Emily and Bart, can we, that's not a spoiler, is it? Emily and Bart, it's in the trailer. And we're traveling around into the other room and I knew I could only, because I wanted them to come from both sides. And as I came around the corner and I hadn't been there for a bit, I just knew that all my crew were moving away. And so as I came around the corner, everyone was almost piled up against the sink, <laughs> like crammed in yes. by a monitor, just going, oh my God, how do we squeeze in this? But you make it work, right? It's indie filmmaking. You just go, look, this is what we've got to do. 
I think you make it work if you've got the right people on set. Yes. And I think that is yeah. what really encompasses what indie film is. Yes, sometimes you're in awkward places. Yes, you're working really long hours. Yes, you're doing mm -hmm. things that you wouldn't be asked to do if you work for a studio or a TV. But one one uh, of the people that we work with more recently that came from a much bigger um, environment just said that he he really enjoyed the, the the process with us because it was so much more family and everybody was really in it together and mm. it wasn't very it wasn't corporate so I think sometimes in big corporate organizations you lose that we're in this together it's tough but when you actually get through it yeah. the sense of achievement is incredible I think it bonds you it well, Dean and I still speaking, so it's obviously bonded, bonded us. us. And the three of us speak all the time. It's, no, I, yeah. I, I, I agree because it was, you know, you'd come on the podcast, Terry, before. Dean's, this is Dean's third time. It's like, I you know, know this is a hat trick. trick. Yeah. But for, for you, Terry, we'd met sort of properly on this podcast. I think we'd seen each other around or whatever, but we met properly, you know, when you came on to talk about break. And, you know, the fact that then you, you, Dean had said, look, I, you know, I think Giles might be right for this. And then you'd, you'd watch some of my stuff. I said, OK, cool, let's talk. But because we'd already chatted like this way, we kind of had that connection. But nothing bonds you more than making an indie film together. Nothing. You can see these people in 10 years time and go, hey, you know, what I mean, you always have that connection. Remember that? Oh, God, yeah. And if you've got an end product at the end that you're proud of, it's it's. Amazing. I think it's a sense of achievement, the fact that you, we go through that whole battle, you're sleep deprived and all the things that, that you go through. And yet at the end of it, you're still delighted to see each other. Yeah. And, and also you like to rib each other over crashing cars. You shared that experience, haven't you? And, <laughs> yeah. and most times, if you've got the right people and the right connections, then then that's the way it goes. But if, if you get the wrong chemistry or the wrong balance then then you only even look back on that experience as a, a negative one i was just going to agree with you dean because actually it can work the other way mm -hmm. because we as in dean and i've worked with people in pre-production who we thought oh my god you're amazing mm -hmm. And then you get in the trenches with them and throw in all of those elements that actually can, and it changes a person. And some people really thrive on that and some people don't. And I think as you go on in this indie world, you then start kind of collecting people who you know are part of your film family and, mm. and that you're singing from the same song sheet. And it doesn't mean to say they're wrong or we're wrong. It just means that they're a square peg and we're around one and in a different environment you know, you'd get on great, but sometimes being in the trenches requires a certain uh, relationship. I think it, it is really important that they will then, at, you know, five minutes be before the bell, yep. do that extra thing for you. Mm. And they'll work that, you can see, they, they know that you really want to get this right. And, and also like HODs, how important they are to a film set as well. And it, it all, everything happens from the top. You know, if your director and your producers are all, they can see that you're taping the floor, Terry. They can see, Dean, that you're running around digging graves and doing all the DIT and making sure everything's moving forward. And Terry, you're in this movie as well. You know, so not only are you producing it, but you're in it and brilliant in it too. And I think that, like I say, is when people see that, and people see that the people at the top are working their asses off and really care and really want to do this well. They go, well, I, you know, I've got nothing to lose. Where if producing directors are shouting at everyone constantly or going, no, you're not doing this right. People go, yeah, do you know what? I'm not going to do that extra five minutes for you. Just say, nah, 
It's a, it's demand management, isn't it? Is yeah. Or they walk slower, you know, when they have to go get a light up. They're going, mm, I'm just going to slowly do this because I know we're not going to get all the shots. So they might get one and that way I can go home early. But I tell you what, if someone's really wants to do it and they care, you can see them run for that light or run for that makeup brush or run for the whatever costume, you know? All those little things. Like, yeah, there were so many things like that that happened on the set. You know, we had the wrong costume at one point on someone and we was like, oh my God, quick, quick, find it and do it and run it around. And people were brilliant. Quick, do it. We're losing light. We've got to get the shot. Change his costume. You must have done, have you produced stuff that you've been in as well? Because it's not easy, is it? No, never. I won't do that I, as an actor no 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 I, yeah i don't really do it anymore i did it on my first film as a director slash producer but it was mainly directing and i it's really hard didn't enjoy it and for you and i know how difficult it was because i remember in the, in the northampton side of the shoot at the manor house i was going to do one of your scenes yeah there. we pushed them didn't we and i remember saying actually no and you were saying no and I, I, even though you would have done it i know you would have done it but i was like oh because for you you were in sweat mode of you know making sure no one was scratching anything making sure everything was safe to suddenly go into character and get into a scene yeah I, and i could see that and so we did move it and i'm glad we did yeah no i i don't envy anyone who's trying to act and produce i learned a lot about that process actually because people just think it's really easy to stand in front of a camera but i think if you're the type of producers that i know we all are and i know giles you produce well which we're uh, you produce as well. We're very hands-on producers. I think it's okay if you're somebody that sits in the back office and then you come in and, and you act, but because we're very hands-on, it really depends on how things go on the day as to whether you can then put your acting hat on. Mm. It's really, really hard. I, in So much so, I, I actually didn't want to be in Bowling Shoes. Really? Because I found, no, no, I found... Well, we pushed you into it, didn't we? You forced me. You had my arm yeah. at my back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Trying to fix the uh, brick wall at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, even three days before I was going, no, I don't, you know, I really shouldn't. But I've got to be honest, I've only got a tiny part in Bowling Shoes, um, but my scene is with Timothy Spall. Oh, and I, the, the moment that I was, because I had a whole day with him and just watching his process and how he works. And I just, that moment, I think I'll carry with me forever. And it's just one of those moments that you think, wow. Mm. And although I really didn't want to do it, retrospectively now I feel really quite honoured that I had that opportunity to watch how somebody like he him works it's it's another level and there was Matt um, Matt Horn who was amazing as well mm. I mean it was a bonkers day but you see in Bowling for some reason at that point the shoot was a lot calmer than Stranger ever was and so I was <laughs> able to not be a producer and just be an actress that day and Dean took I think it wasn't quite as crazy Oh, no, it was crazy for you. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was in COVID too. It, it, it was, was crazy just not for crazy Dean. for me on that day. That day. What, how, okay, on that then, Terry, what did you learn from doing Stranger? Because you were, like I say, brilliant, but you were also, you had so much in your head and you were like, I've got to do that, got to do that, got to do that. What did you learn from that moving on to Bowling and moving on to your next film that you've gone, ah, okay, if I could look back and look at myself, I might have done that differently. Is there anything? Yeah, I think I think every film that you produce, you, you always prep it to within an inch of your life and feel like that you have ironed out the creases that you had in the last film. But it's like a child. Every You can never predict the problems that it's going to have and they're always so different from the last one. I think with Stranger, I had a bit more of a significant role in Stranger in Our Bed. And I think because the crew was so small and 
Dean and I were jumping into every department. It was just a lot to try and fill the gaps and then be creative in my acting role. And I probably did it because Dean, you know, held the fort so wonderfully when I was in acting mode. And you were very generous in moving it when you knew that I just couldn't step in front of the camera. But it's, it's interesting because with Break, which is the first film I produced, I just felt like an imposter the whole time. But I think when you've gone through these really difficult times and weathered so many storms and put out so many fires, each film you you feel, Dean probably doesn't now because he's much further down the line than I am, but you feel like you're earning your place to be where you are. So with Bolan, we were really well prepped but we were subjected to the pandemic. Now, who could have foreseen that? So mm-hmm. we were losing whole departments. It was just really difficult. There was no crew available because we're in we're in a period where, you know, the streamers are shooting se- uh, seasons back to back and there's just no crew available. So we were really scrambling. But Richard Swindle absolutely saved that day. And, and every film that we work with him on, he's just better and better. Stranger's beautiful. Bolan's even more beautiful if that was at all possible possible and I just think his his future is really bright he's a lovely lovely soul to have on set which is really important it really is and this is this is one of the wonderful problems to for for Richard but for us it's as indie filmmakers is Richard Swingle just he'll suddenly get big tv series he'll get big films he's gone you know in a wonderful way that's what it's about but for us we kind of you're going ah we can't afford an indie film it's a very difficult thing and people move on and the streamers are snatching up these people left right and center and it's really they're signing them up for contracts and it's very difficult for us indie films at the moment for that but yeah Richard was amazing you know, I loved working with the crew. I loved working on getting the colors right, the shots. And Richard also operated the steady cam as well, which meant that he had to put that on. But it was brilliant because it meant I had that whenever I, you know, pretty much wanted it. And it looks beautiful in the film. And I loved that collaboration. And it's so important for directors out there to make sure that collaboration is perfect or as best as it can be with your dp you're on the same page so you're not on set going why have you put that lens on or why are you shooting it that wide you've already had those conversations you already know the look of the film and we wanted it to very much look like gone girl you know that was our real that's where we went and interestingly i was looking back it was obviously it was a while ago since we we shot it and not that long ago but we've all done other projects and i look back at my mood boards for the movie that I pitched to you guys and said, look, here's, you know, I'd love to direct this film. Here's what I'm looking at. And then I adapted them when I started to work with Rich and I look back at them and I went, oh my God, it really looks like the movie. You know, we've really gone to make it look very similar to how we wanted it to look. And that is all about preparation and saying what we want. So you don't have those awkward conversations on set. But I, th- I think you should talk about what you did because I thought that was quite unique, how you used color uh, with certain characters and and you kept that throughout the film. I think you should talk about that because I think your lis- uh, listeners would find that really interesting how you approached. Yeah, I, t- I had a, a vision for a colour for every character so that therefore if the camera was on them it was a certain shade so if Emily's had a certain look but her look changed throughout the whole movie. I also wanted shades of red in it, almost in every frame, there's a, there's a little bit of red. So I work well with the production designer, Anna Papa, to make sure there was a little bit of that. But me and Rich really worked hard on making sure each character had their own feel and vibe. Uh, and that to me, yeah, it's for me, it was, it was, it just felt very natural to do that, especially with the book and the way it's described in Samantha's book. 
it was easy to sort of go, okay, here's the colours I want them to have ha and the way their costumes work and uh, with Julia's brilliant costume design and working together as a team to try and create that and to make sure everyone had their own vibe. So no one was clashing, no one felt out of place either. It had to be that uniform look. So the film has its own look, but at the same time, everyone had their own colour. Do you approach every film the same in the process that you go through, i.e. the lookbook, the colours? The... Uh, the same as in I have a process of how I like to uh, approach a film. But in terms of, no, everything's different. I approach everything like, okay, let's just see, okay, uh, with Wolves of War, it's this vibe. I want everything to have this green tinge and each character, will have, he'll have a bit of blue. But it was much more subtle. Everything was around that. But yeah, I, and I was Stranger, I definitely went much bolder. I went very bold with the, the vibe of it. Uh, no, I, I suppose I do, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. But I definitely have, I come at the more as fresh. Okay, this is this film now, it's fresh. Well, how do I, uh, what does it feel to me? I maybe give it a a name, a vibe, uh, uh, an ambience. This, you know, this feels tight or awkward, or this one feels loose and dangerous, you know, each individual film. And yeah, approaching it that way feels, this is an adventure, or this is, this everything has to be, like working with Rich on the camera shots as well. Everything had to be as if someone was watching, or we'd have all these sort of movements. And I loved moving the camera. Like uh, the scenes in Tom and um, Charlotte's house, which is uh, Ben Lloyd Hughes and Emily Barrington's house. I really wanted to keep that camera moving constantly as if it was just someone else in the room. And because we designed these moving masters, it was then easy to just pick up the close-ups, but pretty much we stayed on the moving masters in the edit because they were so nice. So what Spielberg does, moving master and someone comes into a close-up or it turns into a two or it becomes your wide, whatever it is, you use it because it's beautiful and you've, the, the audience, you know, drift into the scene rather than here's a wide, here's a close-up. Yeah, it's boring. How did you feel working? Sorry, I'm just going to ask how you felt because you had basically two couples in this film, you know? Yeah. So how was that? Because obviously... Ben and, and Emily being married, you know, as a director, that could be probably quite awkward because you're now getting in between them to, to get what you need out of their characters. And then they will have their own conversations outside that. So how did you manage that whole process? See, that was interesting because I knew that they would be having their own conversations about this separately in a normal filmmaking couple. They don't. They go to separate homes um, or you know, sometimes. Um, <laughs> but in this situation, <laughs> I was like, um, okay, I know they're going to be talking and discussing this later. So I was, I suppose I was very careful about how I spoke to them, knowing that the other, this might be relayed. So I had that in the back of my mind. But I also, also consciously didn't want to worry about that. And I also wanted to treat them as not a couple. I wanted to treat them, hence why we had a uh, intimacy coordinator. Obviously, they've been intimate together, but I was like, I don't care. I want intimacy coordinator because they're on set doing, touching each other or kissing. So I want to make sure that's safe for them knowing there's other people around. Of course, they touch each other, but here, this is different. So I, I treated them like the characters. I treated them how or what I wanted them to behave and what I wanted them to get out of the scenes. But I was aware that this is also going to relay and this is then, but great, because then they'll talk about that and that manipulate. I, I was slightly worried that it, it would become, because they're talking that closely, that it become, which can happen in a theatre piece when everyone gets in the same rhythm. And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted their rhythms to be different. So in rehearsals or stuff, I'd keep 
them separate as much as possible before they went on set. I would, you know, I mean, even though they're in rooms together, sometimes I'd be like, no, no, think about your scenes and characters now before we go on set, please, rather than talking about what's going on, as if you were getting in character now. So it's bits and pieces like that. And because they're playing characters that are very different from themselves, I'd say, and certainly different from their relationship, I think they liked that time, the quiet time to sit into their characters and find it. And it was beautiful to watch. It's beautiful. Their relationships and their, it's so deeper than, it's not surface level, that relationship. It goes back and because they know each other and because they're in uh, as a couple, it's, is, is this close to home? How real is this? And we'll never know, but it's that fascination with them talking to each other like that or arguing like that, or how dare you do this? How much of that came from gut of real years of being together or how much came from a, I'm playing character? But it worked. Whatever happens, yeah. it, it worked. I, and they were really lovely to work with. I think that's the other thing as well, which, yeah. you know, sometimes I've seen situations where it's been very difficult for a director, but I think they both, you know, worked really well together and, and, and made it probably a bit easier for you. They really did. They re honestly, it was a joy. It was a real joy to direct them. And I say that in the loosest terms to play, you know, they were there with the characters like, okay, what can we pull out here? Actually, let's try this one where you're, don't give away the secret. Don't say anything. Don't look at him or her. Let's try that. You know, and I surprised Emily at one point. It's in, it's, it's in a teaser clip, I think that's just gone out whereas Ben hits the table. And I, and I just said, don't, don't, I'm, I'm going to whisper, I whispered to Ben, don't, let Emily know you're doing this. Do you know what I mean? Keep this between us in the scene. I want you to do this. Because then you get a real, and I made sure the camera's on Emily at this point. Then I get the real reaction from her going, oh my God, because it's a jump. So little things like that you, you can do to, you know, and I'll always say to my actors, I'll always keep filming, keep in the moment, you know, because I'll never, there might be a moment where I'll just, you know, especially before the, I'm saying action, stay in character because they're the bits you use in the edit most of the time anyway. How much is, how much is that is informed from your experience as an actor, or how much of this is what you've learned as a director to get the best out of your actors? Both. Obviously, it was instinct when I first started directing of what I learned as an actor and what I liked and wanted directors to do for me. Over time, it's being, it's much more, okay, how can I make the scene work to what I would like? Because it's all well and good talking to an actor and getting a performance out of them, but if it doesn't work as a scene or if it doesn't connect, You've maybe got an amazing performance on the close-up from so-and-so, but the other side of it isn't. And therefore now that doesn't cut together in the edit. So yeah, I think it's both. I've learned so much by directing, but acting has definitely helped for sure. And it was amazing making The Stranger in Our Bed. And, and I'm proud of the movie. I really am. Having our cast and crew two months ago, whenever it was, I was like, oh, Oh, this, oh, okay. This is really cool. Cause you're so in it when you're editing it and you're shooting it and you're trying to get it, you know, deliverables, all that kind of stuff and get it done in time to actually watch it and just go, oh, okay. Fuck, we did really well, you know, and whatever we feel forever. You want to be proud of that. You want to, you know, something you've done, you know, you can tell your grandkids about. What's your favorite moments? But, and also what is your worst moment? What do you, yeah, that's what easier. did you, <laughs> go on then, let's start with the worst moment then. Uh, no, it's, no, there was no, like say, I don't think it was a favorite moment or worst. I can probably can find a couple of favorite moments, but there was no worst moment. There wasn't a moment when I went, oh God, I actually loved making this film. And I, I was really sad when we finished it. I actually had a great time. I, fe I felt I, I found myself as a director in a weird way. And that sounds 
ridiculously wanky, but I actually really got a lot out of it. I got to play with someone as amazing as Rich. I got to work with you guys, got to work with amazing actors and, and an amazing team. So suddenly I'm playing in the sandbox of, oh, I can do this. Oh, okay, this is how I want to make it more thrilling. This is how I want to make it more interesting. This is how I want to make it look. That was a joy. So I think some of the, some of the best moments, like the the, the the fight scene in it between Bart and Ben was a real, that day was really, again, there's so many tough days. You make it an indie film in 18 days, you know, it, it's a lot. We're at day 14 or whatever, and we, you know, we know we've got no time, but I remember doing that fight scene and watching the boys work and getting those shots I wanted and laying the track and just bringing these beautiful shots and the whole fight. And it nailing and working and you're just going, okay. That really worked. Okay, yeah, we'd, we'd have to have a bit of CGI to make the, you know, whatever the stabs work. But at that point, you're going, well, I've got the shots that I need to make this work. These are th those moments as they're actually, and you, you turn to an actor who's just nailed a performance, or Emily's got a tear rolling down her cheek, and you're going, oh my God, you know, and Rich has framed it perfectly. And there was a specific shot I really wanted from the very beginning, and it was a, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, but it was a reveal moment in the film. When you see it, you'll see this. It's a real moment when our hero realizes what's going on. And from the off, it was from first time I'd read the script. I said, this shot has to happen. And it's a, it, it's a reveal moment. I'm not going to say what it was, but I remember on the day everyone went, yeah, you haven't got time to do that. Everyone said, yeah, you'll never do that because it's a whole new setup. It's a whole different lighting setup. It's a whole different track. It's a whole camera moving. And I just was adamant. And I went, yeah, but it's what I want. It's what I want from the very beginning. And I remember the sense of achievement when we got it. And it's a brilliant moment in the movie. And all these things like that you've at the time are so important. Like, oh my God, we'll never get this shot. And oh my God. When you watch the movie, everyone's forgotten about all those dramas. Everyone's forgotten about what happened on set. I can hardly remember mother stuff, do you know what I mean, even now. But just remembering the sense of achievement going, yeah, yeah, it was worth that effort. It was worth going, no, I want, of course I could go, yeah, you're right, we haven't, and I might miss another shot and I might only get one take on, on the reverse. But if I get this, makes the movie, you know, it makes what you set out to do. From that moment, I think to the end of the film is the best section of the film. It's almost, is it the last half an hour? Where does mm -hmm. that, that bit come in? And yeah. that is when you go, stay with the film until this moment, because this is your payoff. Yes. That, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. It's, it's not that it's boring beforehand, because <laughs> the, the setup no. is really good, but it, but you know that there's certain places within the film that hooks you in. And then when you, like you say, when you get to that moment, you go, oh, okay. But every film has got to set the scene. Otherwise, you don't get the payoff from that moment on. And every every film needs to do that heavy lifting at the beginning to get to the good juicy bits. Yes. But once we get into that, oh my God, yeah. then you're on the edge of your seat. Aren't you? totally. Go on, girl. Yeah. Go on. Go on. And I remember that and a couple of people said in the screenings or whatever, and people have commented or, or rang me up or spoken about the film who've seen it, have all gone, no, oh, I love that scene, but they couldn't explain why and it was only when it was especially it was a filmmaker i was talking to her i explain how i shot it and did this and, and the team shot it rich shot it they go ah now it makes sense because it's a different look it's a different and you go you're playing with the audience it's, it's sort of like spielberg does it all the time danny ball does it all the time you're playing with their minds to go something's off here i can this isn't what i've just seen for the last two minutes in this scene you've gone boom something new and we're pushing in oh my god oh my god <gasps> There's the moment. And and that's special, man. And, and that as director, you want to put in as many films as you can, your little moments and your little, you know, 
flourishes. So yeah, you have to fight for those, even if it is difficult. But yeah, there's so many favourite moments, Dean. Thanks for asking. On top of that, which we haven't really covered, was like the post and the music and working with like Ian Arbour mm. on the music and, and... And Marcus Mole on the sound design, yeah. Oliver Parker, the editor. I love that And the colouring, you know, the, the whole yeah, post-production yeah, as well was really important for this film. Um, and, and I think that really helps. And you can't make a thriller without that magical soundtrack and those little moments. And Tom Cairns, our um, colourist, really, work with me and rich to make it look beautiful as well and it's uh, yeah i love the look of it uh, the post side is always interesting for a director because it's the first time your movie that's in your head comes to light and all those compromises you had to make the, the thing you wanted to make the, the shots you wanted to do and you have to compromise on set because you haven't got time you can't get around this you can't you then see it in all its worst glory at first you know that assembly edit is the worst thing you know it's, it's, i didn't show it to you for a while because you're just going yeah yeah i know it's terrible it's, come on this is just all just stuffed together you know in some way and i've worked with oliver parker so many times and he's just brilliant at pulling stuff out he's also got a director's mind but post is it's really interesting for a director because you're in the hands of other people as well now you you're working closely with people who are experts in their field so you have to trust them as well when they say this isn't working i post for me is is brilliant because you've got the film in the can you know you're going to have something there's something here and with a couple of pickups you can you know you've got time to process all that it's frightening but it's also it's sort of so frightening showing like you guys okay you're going to see my edit now oh god what are you going to think what's going to happen but like greg our exec was so good at coming up with ideas and like little snippets to make the film better it, during that process you two did and you know all that that and and having the relationship we had meant the nothing was precious it was like well this is what i think this is what i'd like you to do here try this can we try that that's brilliant what a process you know well, well the, the, the hardest thing is picture lock isn't it and that's why you do your test screenings and, and, and so on at that point because once once you got to picture lock for me you know, you're on, on the home straight because you can only make things better. The, the sound makes it better. The music makes it better. But the hardest decisions are in the edit, aren't they? Yeah. And picture yeah. lock is probably the most stressful part of post. Yes, because you're not seeing it as a finished film at that point. You're seeing it with rough music, rough sound that you're just doing. You know, I was doing a lot of that rough sound. Um, a lot of Ben's breathing or whatever is me doing it or it's Ollie, you know, doing Emily. You know, we did all the voices to make it fit an ADR, you, uh, additional dialogue. Uh, looping and stuff we would do ourselves so it's our voice on a lot of this stuff and that's always hard to watch to picture lock something that he's got someone else's voice on not the actor or wrong music so you're taking a leap of faith at that point that you presume it's all going to work out well and but then like dean says it's only going to get better from that point sound design oh my god now it sounds amazing oh my god that thud that i did or the crappy indoor sound that they did marcus mall pulled all that stuff together and made it amazing and then ian arbor with getting the score beautiful you know and then tom grading it you know but they can sell certain moments in post as well that that wasn't there in the edit you know that you know a certain sound that comes in at the right place yeah just sells that moment doesn't it and, and well a hit for instance and that's why i work really hard on set to get those fight scenes looking good because if it looks good in a rough edit or on set you know that adding a sound is going to work if you've got a shoddy hit and it you've clearly missed it clearly looks like it didn't go anywhere near so a hit will save it 
but everyone kind of knows, all right, you got away with that. So that's why I work really hard on set to make sure the camera angles are really in the right places to make all that work. It's important. And, and also reveals in films. So important when you're trying to do a thriller. Where do you want the camera to? Who's revealing what? What are you seeing when? You know, um, it's very important. But yeah, post is a great time. How, uh, for you guys, right, as producers, how does it feel for you when you're going, oh, God, I'm going to watch a, an edit? today or we're coming close to lock and I'm not happy or I am happy. How does it feel for you, Terry? I find post the most difficult process because by that time you have seen it so many times mm. when yeah. you're in the post process. I think you're a bit snow blind. Yes. Um, I, I, and, and I still haven't been able to detach myself in a way that I suppose I can be objectively criti critique it, which is something I still probably need to learn. Um, so I find post, I love post, like I loved, and you're right, Greg, I loved you in the fact with Greg and saying, well, how about, you know, and there was that one moment where we had their relationship really early on in the film. And I was like, no, 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 you can't do that because the women are going to hate us straight away. Mm. You know, we really need to, and I kind of had to really fight that because in the script and in the book, it was where it was. And I'm really glad I did, but I still think it's a really hard process. And I think you guys have a technical ability that I'm still learning. So you're able to probably see it through slightly different eyes. Mm. And I think, um, I do love it though, because I think you can change the, the whole look of the film as long as you've got the material in the first place. Um, Stranger was probably, I was more involved in the post in Stranger than I was in Break and then even more involved with Boland. So I feel like I've grown each time. Mm. But I'm definitely, and like you, Giles, when I saw Stranger after not having seen it for a lovely, you know, long time, mm -hmm. I was really proud. Mm -hmm. And if only we could do that with all of our films during the post process, <laughs> yes. we'd probably be able to critique it a bit fresher, but that we don't have that luxury. No, all so, the time. Um, it still eludes me a little bit, but I enjoy it. Well, let's talk about um, distribution then. Signature are putting this film out, or will have uh, by the time this, this podcast goes out. Let's talk about distribution a bit then, you know, because you, you guys did that. I wasn't involved. What was your process like with this film and what did you want to get out of it? Well, we, we actually secured the US first before we secured the UK. Um um, and and Tricoast, who we went with in the US, they secured a deal with Showtime. Uh, Showtime's very female skewed, which was right for the film. Mm -hmm. And the bonus of doing that and premiering on Showtime meant that we were able to get reviews and really test the market ahead of the US release, which was probably a month later and then ahead of the UK release. So, you know, we, 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 we are really working all together. So the US have got quite a few interviews with Sam Bond. Mm -hmm. We were getting lots of interviews with Nina. So we're all sharing that. So it, it's been a really, really good experience because the, the first film that I did with Dean, which was Break, was a very different experience because we were in the pandemic. We were so, our hands were so tied by the restraints of the pandemic. I was almost coming into Stranger with no experience and, and not knowing how it was going to go. But Greg and I met with uh, Tricoast and we just really felt we really liked the family run 
um, aspect of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been great. They've been really good. They've been really transparent in the territories that we've sold and really informative. And Signature have been incredible. It's the first time I've worked with Signature. I, I know, Giles, you've worked with them before. And Dean, I'm not sure if you have, but Signature have been really impressive with the way that they have dealt with uh, the press and the social media. And I feel like with both both parts, they are, we're working as a team, which I think is quite important in this business. And particularly for me as a producer, you know, Dean's taken things to market a lot more than I have. So, you know, the, again, imposter syndrome, because mm-hmm. I actually genuinely don't know, but they've been really generous in, you know, keeping us very informed. So it's really going well. I just, I mean, I know we, sh- we this podcast will go out once we've released, but we're filming it before we release. So, you know, it, it is quite nerve wracking, but I guess, and I don't know if, you know, Dean may have some thoughts on this. I think the US have really bought into the quintessential English British story. Mm. I don't know whether the, my, my anxiety a little bit is whether the UK will be a little bit um, harder hitting because they're used to quintessential British stories. Sure. I yeah. guess we'll find out on Monday, Giles. guess we will. Well, we get, we were number three on Hulu, right? That's a huge achievement. Wait, can I just say, number three behind Spider-Man and all the other three studio were studio films. We were number three on Hulu, trending. Like, wow. It's, 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 that's ridiculously huge. There's no question about that. But then if you look at the audience in America, it, it goes back to that same thing. You know yeah. what your target audience, you know, there's... Exactly. Th- th- there's a, women will watch daytime films and this mm-hmm. kind of fits into that. I know it's a thriller and it's a bit mm-hmm. dark in places and so on. Of course, it's me making it. <laughs> but it hits an audience. It's, it's that afternoon film, isn't it? It falls into that slot where, where they're looking to watch something. And, and, you know, the Hallmark Channel and all these channels in America mm-hmm. are basically tapped into that market and it's huge. And that's why I knew we would do well in America. UK is a different beast. Um, and, and it'd be interesting to see how it does. And, and Signature are really good at finding their audience. Um, yeah, they are. But it's a different are. audience, isn't it? For me, it's a, it's a, it's a different vibe. And, and, and I can see why we have done so well in America. So we'll see. Do you know the DVD market in middle, middle America is still huge? So to your listeners that don't know, DVDs obsolete almost. But in Middle America, it's huge. The figures I know they're estimates, but the DVD figures are actually really quite exciting. Yeah. Well, there is still a DVD yeah. market in America where here it's yeah. gone, you know. It's gone. It's just about there. It's hanging on, but it's, yeah, it's supermarket stuff these days. Well, we'll find out. Um, and if you are kind enough to watch the film, uh, please reach out and let us know what you think. But more than that, you know, we, how difficult it is to get indie films out there into the world do let your friends know do pass this on do shout this out on socials and just say how watch this cool film or watch this film if you didn't like it whatever just say look this is out now we really appreciate your support and if you are kind enough go on to imdb go on to itunes and um, rotten tomatoes and give it a nice review it, it honestly makes a huge huge difference you wouldn't know there's so many trolls out there just being ourselves just for the sake of it uh we've just got to rise up above it and if you can support and go give us a lovely review and a five stars do it or four whatever three whatever we'll take it just just don't be horrible but not a 10 out of 10 yeah not a 10 out of 10 because they think it's fake yeah Yeah, exactly if you don't like it maybe not be 
Furious, maybe? I don't know. Don't, <laughs> you don't like it, shut up. You don't need to go yeah. onto Twitter and at us all and go, your film was shit. We don't, fuck off. Don't care. <laughs> your face is shit. Listen, stop it. You know what I mean? It's hard enough as it is. We don't care. Why do people do that? Oh, I, I just watched Ryan Reynolds' film. It was shit. Tagging him in it. What the fuck? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Idiots. Anyway, so don't do that. Be nice. Support indie films. You're listening to this. You clearly care about indie film. You clearly care about filmmaking. Support all the people who come on this podcast and if you can support Stranger on Bed do this has been fun I've really enjoyed this chat it's been great me too me too different way of spending a Saturday night isn't it yeah it is <laughs> well I have to say I, I was quite giddy when I came onto it having been at a barbecue all afternoon but <laughs> there you go it's so amazing to see you both I've really missed you and just yeah. chatting like there makes me realise how much I miss you so thank you for getting us on together Giles pleasure my absolute pleasure listen enjoy uh, whatever you're doing go out there make your films and make it happen and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down Terry Dwyer thank you so much thank you Dean Fisher, thank you. Thank you, Giles. Thank you, Terry. Go watch The Stranger in a Bed. It's out now. Uh, links are in the show notes. Uh, you will be able to find it there. Love you all. Go make your films. Cheers, everyone. Bye. 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 <laughs>